Hello and welcome to Sit and Listen, a production of Science in the News. We are a graduate student-led organization at Harvard University focused on generating discussions between scientists, other experts, and enthusiasts. The global pandemic caused by the novel coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2, has changed the world and altered all of our lives. In this series of episodes titled Scientists at Home, we present narratives of life and research during the pandemic from scientists and academics across a broad range of disciplines and stages of their career. We hope that in hearing these narratives, you'll feel a sense of camaraderie with the scientific community as we acclimate to these difficult times. My name is Wei, and I'm a grad student in the Chemistry and Chemical Biology Department in Harvard University. Today, I'm joined here with Chelsea Powell, a postdoctoral scientist at the Harvard Medical School. She is here to talk a little bit about her research and how she navigates her life during COVID. And Chelsea actually works in the same lab as I am, so I'm very excited to be able to talk to her. Thank you for being here, Chelsea. Well, thank you for inviting me. <laughs> Yeah, so Chelsea, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you do as a scientist. Uh, sure thing. Well, I did my uh, PhD research at Harvard as well uh, in the chemical biology program. Um, I was in Nathaniel Gray's lab, which is a part of uh, Dana-Farber Cancer Institute, uh, a Harvard affiliate. Um, as may be indicated by the name, my research was primarily focused on discovering new cancer therapeutics. I focused on um, a type of lung cancer, ALK positive, A-L-K, um, that makes up about 11% of all lung cancer. So it's, it's quite a significant patient population. Um, and I worked on uh, novel targeted therapies. Uh, so targeted therapies are different from chemotherapies in that they don't have as many um, side effects because they're specified for uh, the mutation that causes cancer, as opposed to um, what many people may think of as cancer treatment, uh, which is a more um, general treatment to kill cells in the body. And people associate that with, you know, the classic hair loss and other weakening type of treatments. So these targeted therapies are definitely a step up for patients. Um, they, they have a lot uh, fewer side effects and, and can really help these patient populations. So the new work I worked on is both novel ways to inhibit the proteins that are misbehaving in these cancers, as well as a new uh, small molecule strategy, which is to induce the degradation of these proteins. So yeah, trying to keep it general for our lay audience. Uh, but that was my research in undergrad, uh, excuse me, in my, in my PhD. And yeah, now I'm, I work with you. So the shift to my postdoc here is trying to still have a, a translational goal, but incorporate new microbiome research. And I'm studying the intersection between the microbiome, circadian rhythm, and disease, and hoping to apply my knowledge on uh, new therapeutic discovery from my PhD to my postdoctoral research. That's really cool. So from what I know and so from what I've heard, it seems like you're doing something completely different in your postdoc as compared to what you do in your PhD. Um, so is this what people usually do? Is this normal? Do people tend to change fields after they graduate? Um, it's hard to say whether it's normal or not, I guess, from my small sample. I think I've done a bit more of a shift than most people. But 
I would say that that's one of the reasons I, I chose to pursue uh, postdoc is because of the continued training aspect. I, I wanted to expand my skill set to a different field. And also keeping in mind, though, that for non-scientists, it may not be the biggest switch ever as it's still biology, it's still chemical biology, it's still therapeutic development. Um, I think more to people like you and I, it seems like a, a big leap in change. Um, but yeah, I, that that's one of the reasons I chose to do the postdoc is I wanted to make that shift. And also the opportunity to apply the skills I had to a problem that where maybe my skill set wasn't really being applied yet. Um, so taking the more traditional uh, drug discovery from the cancer realm and moving uh, to the microbiome field uh, was a very exciting opportunity to me. Do you mind letting the audience know the timeline? So when do you graduate and then when do you become a postdoc? Uh, sure. So you, you can pursue your postdoctoral research after you defend your thesis. So uh, that could be a little different than maybe your official graduation and receiving your degree from the university. It's, it's more once you complete your PhD research in the eyes of your committee. So once you have defended your thesis, you are officially a PhD and you can pursue postdoctoral research. So uh, most postdoc positions are at ac academic institutions um, and they're both a continuation of research as well as a continuation of training. So that's what distinguishes them from perhaps what, what someone might think a PhD does in industry. However, there is the caveat that there are postdoc research positions in industry. So those uh, do have an expectation of uh, publishing as one would in an academic position. And there is a expectation of continued training of your skills, even though you're in industry now. Oh, that's really cool because a postdoc in an industry position sounds like a pretty new concept because I've actually never really heard too much of it. Yeah. Um, so do you, do you know? Yeah, I would say it's newer. Uh, and I do know some people from my cohort at Harvard who have gone on to do industry-based postdocs. I think they've sprung up as a branch of industry that still wants to publish and maybe still doing some things that are a little bit more basic and not as ready to go to the clinic uh, that these companies want to pursue. So as a grad student right now studying for a PhD, and I'm sure many other grad students too, we generally have an assumption that if you choose to do a postdoc, that might mean you might want to go into academia. So is this sort of a concept that is changing right now where people who also want to do more translational stuff and going into industry still want to do a postdoc first? Uh, yes, I, I'd say so. I think that that's a very personal decision. I think there are pros and cons either way if you want to go into industry of doing the postdoc first. As I mentioned, one option is doing a postdoc in industry, so you kind of get, get both. So for myself, I'm not sure. I haven't completely decided one way or the other. I, I wanted to keep the door open to academia. But uh, knowing that I might still go to industry and, and not go to academia, I thought the postdoc would be useful for establishing myself as an independent researcher. So even once I enter industry, I'm entering at a different level than I would enter with just the PhD. So either way, it's a stepping stone towards being an independent researcher and hopefully a, a head of a uh, lab. Um, and the other benefit, as I said, is if you want to make sure that your long-term career isn't in specifically what you were doing as a PhD. So I wanted to expand my skill set and expand the opportunities that would be present to me in either industry or academia. 
So one last thing about being a postdoc, what are some misconceptions that people outside of academia might have? Yeah, I'd say the idea that it's just a continuation of grad school isn't accurate. Yes, you are still a trainee. Yes, you are still doing research in academia like you were doing in grad school, but you're starting at a completely different place, right? Like I, I finished my PhD training, I have the skill set to begin projects that were not in my wheelhouse <laughs> as a as a, when I was beginning my PhD. And also you are just at a different a level in terms of your science knowledge and your ability to also be a manager or mentor. So I, I feel like I'm more able to manage projects, to uh, interact in teams. I'm, I'm happy to mentor grad students and undergrads. So I think the biggest change is it is for someone not in academia would be to think of it as a promotion, right? Because you're going up, it, you're at a different part of the team. You're you're much more independent and you're much more ready to begin without more training. So in other words, I've already been trained so I can hit the ground running with a new project in a way I couldn't have as a grad student. Yeah, going off that is just something that as a grad student, I'm interested in. Uh, you explained about how being a postdoc is different from being a grad student. So I was just wondering, did your postdoc experience match up with what you imagine a postdoc experience would be like? Or is it like something very different from what you are expecting? Like any kind of stresses that you weren't expecting, things like that? Yeah, that's a great question. I'd say that for the most part, it's been better than I expected as a grad student. Part of that has to do with the specific environment I was in as a grad student. I think that a lot of it does come down to the PI or, or head of the lab and how they expect their postdocs to behave and, and how they expect a postdoctoral position to go. So in my PhD studies, postdocs tended to stay for a very long, long time. And it wasn't as much of a stepping stone to the next point of the career as more of a temporary landing spot. And for me, I wanted my postdoc to be a stepping stone to the next spot and, and to work towards that and to have a mentor that supports that. And um, that's what I currently have. So that's actually an improvement upon my perception as a grad student. I also think I didn't, as a grad student, fully realize how much control postdocs can have over their research and, and shaping their projects. Although you are independent as a grad student, I think there's even a greater level of independence as a postdoc, and, and that's something I'm really enjoying. Again, I think this could be, this is definitely lab dependent, and I think that some lab environments, there can be a lot of intra-competition in a lab between the postdocs because uh, they, they could be vying for academic positions and there aren't that many. So again, this is lab dependent, but that was something not that I was expecting, but that I was wary of when I was doing my job search, and I was sure to pick an environment where I didn't feel that was the case. I felt it was a collaborative environment. Uh, that was very important to me too. So I don't think that was a misconception so much as uh, you need to be careful which environment you pick. And I think that's true for any job searching. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome that you are enjoying your postdoc experience, especially with being more independent. I think personally right now at my stage, I am very afraid of being completely independent in doing a project. But I guess that's what my PhD is training me for. So hopefully within a few years, I'll... I'll get there. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I think once uh, once you have a few more years, you might feel differently and be more, more confident to jump in on your own. <laughs> yes. Future Way would listen to this podcast and be like, now, now, go. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for telling me about your postdoc experience. 
So now that we've talked about what it's like being a postdoc and being a scientist in general, um, let's talk about something else that is a, a little bit more depressing, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, COVID. <laughs> when COVID hits, a lot of people have had lives interrupted this last year. So I know that for you, especially at that time during the first shutdown, which I believe was in March. We were still a relatively new postdoc in the lab, so I was just wondering how has that like been for you being new and having the pandemic happening at the same time? Yeah, a great question. So for like you said, I since I was a new postdoc, I was just getting my project off the ground. So the biggest impact was definitely at that early stage of a project, you really need preliminary data, you really need time to generate tools to even generate the preliminary data. And of course, with the shutdown, uh, it wasn't just a pause, it was a step backwards, right? Because I had to freeze cell lines or prepare things for storage. So that's, that's different than even taking a vacation where someone can can look at you or after things. Um, so that was definitely very difficult because uh, it felt like I lost the, even those two months that I had already been working since I had to put everything back, <laughs> even more so than just put things on hold. The benefit was there was a lot of time for reading, uh, which you need to get a new project off the ground. But even then, it's hard to direct your reading when you don't have preliminary data to kind of follow up to pursue new ideas and theories of where your project could be going. So yeah, that I definitely feel that was a really hard point in a project to be hit with COVID and the shutdown is I was kind of left in, in limbo without being able to generate new data and tools to get going in the lab. During the shutdown, did it also possibly give you more time for you to maybe wrap up some projects in your PhD? I think you mentioned that a little bit. Oh, yes. So that was nice. It gave both myself and the other authors on some of my projects from my PhD some time to write and make figures and really wrap things up. So that, that definitely helped with publishing and putting a bow on any lingering aspects of my PhD that needed to be completed. So yes, I did. it did help me publish papers this year that we were intending to publish, but it definitely helped push not just myself, but every author on the paper to to get those wrapped up. So that that's a that's an upside, I think, and that you, you could just really focus on writing for and figure making. Yeah, that is one upside. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to um, give too many upsides to COVID. <laughs> I feel like during the shutdown, I was supposed to be doing a lot of writing and reading, but I ended up being completely not very productive <laughs> because I guess most of the things we do as scientists, I guess we can talk a little bit about it, is that I go into lab and do things hands-on. Mm -hmm. um, it takes away of a lot of my sleepiness in the day. If I ever feel sleepy or bored, I can just stand up and do something hands-on. But during the pandemic, it feels like you're just always sitting down and having to force yourself to, to read and write is quite difficult. So do you have any tips, advices on things like that? <laughs> Yeah, definitely. I, and I, I want to start by saying that I think that it's worth acknowledging that it is a pandemic and you're allowed to take a little time to be human. You don't have to be. There are so many uh, posts going around about how people were geniuses during the plague. I don't think you need to have your great breakthrough during the pandemic. You can have space and time to be human. 
So I, I did get a lot of reading and writing done during the shutdown, but I will add the caveat that not only did I also feel a lot of drain from just the uncertainty of the pandemic, I was living back at home with my parents for the duration of the pandemic and being an adult living with your parents trying to still conduct your adult life is difficult. And it wasn't just myself. I know a lot of people who returned home and uh, that definitely was strange and I had to adapt that to my routine. So I'm mentioning these things to say that I wasn't a perfect human just generating scientific ideas for the, the three months of the shutdown. But that being said, I think giving yourself a schedule is really key during when you can't do lab work, or even if you're taking time away from the bench to write and read to help yourself move forward in normal times, non-COVID times, I think it's good to set goals for yourself. But when I say a schedule, don't set like time for yourself, because I think that can be really intimidating if you're like, I need to get X done in two hours. I think it's better to set uh, benchmarks, like I would like to finish these two papers today or something in terms of reading, not writing. That's a lot of work. (laughs) And then if you can kind of set a little goal each day and keep going, I I found that really useful for making sure that I was still getting work done, hitting things that I wanted to hit during the time off. I think too, I'm a big advocate for paper planners. (laughs) I've convinced uh, one of the grad students in our lab to, to switch to paper planners. I think if you can write down on paper the things you need to get done for the week, it really helps you kind of plan your time and, and your week and to not let the hours get lost in the pandemic. I don't know what's happening. I'm, I'm stressed out feeling. If you can like just write down a few things you want to do that week, um, I found that to be a big help and, and it helped me not lose time uh, when we had no idea how long that shutdown was going to be. So yeah, those are my tips. My tips are setting goals for yourself, but not timed goals, because I think that can be a little counterproductive and stress you out. It's more tangible goals like writing X or reading X, and also looking at your week more broadly as opposed to each day, I think helps a lot for planning your week. That is so awesome. I also have a paper planner. (laughs) Yes, excellent. (laughs) During the pandemic, I have gotten very into watching people doing bullet journaling on YouTube. Yeah, very soothing. (laughs) So, Yes, that has been so fun. You get to plan and also do a little bit of art. So that has been pretty awesome. (laughs) So did COVID change anything in regards to your life as a scientist. Do you mind breaking it down for people who might not know what a scientist do in general before the pandemic and then during the pandemic? Sure. So what are your day-to-day activities? Yeah, my day-to-day activities involve a lot of uh, physical lab work, as you were kind of alluding to. So I I need to be at the bench. For for non-scientists, it's those images of scientists moving clear liquids in lab coats. That's, That's me. I'm one of those. And that's something that we can't do from home, right? Those, all those types of experiments need to be in a regulated environment, need specific tools. So the vast majority of my job I could not do during the pandemic, and, and you couldn't do as well. It requires us to be there in person. It requires specific uh, materials in order to gather data. So yes, the other aspect of our work is a lot of reading and planning and writing and scientific communication. So those were things we could do during the pandemic, but those things are also difficult to do without new data. So a lot of the work relied on anything you had already collected. So in in my case, I could, as you mentioned, I could uh, wrap up 
writing on my PhD work because that was data I already had. But what made it difficult for my postdoctoral work is I had not yet had an opportunity to generate data. So there wasn't a lot of writing I could do. I could read to project plan, but I couldn't read to learn new things about what my data may be telling me because I didn't have that data to base my readings off of. So it was more very uh, general reading on the project I was working towards. So yeah, that's the major disruption of COVID for scientists is we need to be able to physically run experiments, at least for uh, chemists and biologists. If you're uh, somebody who works on computers, I guess that would make it easier for you to do your work from home. But Yeah, we work with living things, living cells, and we can't do that from home, unfortunately. Yeah, definitely. And even after the shutdown has been lifted and we can go back to lab, it is still a little bit difficult to go back into doing experiments because you are more restricted in the hours. A lot of experiments that we do require a lot of timing. Um, We need to take time points. We need to come in in exactly 24 hours to get our results. I'm sure COVID also affected you. Yeah, definitely. Lot. When we first came back and our hours were very restricted, I, as I mentioned, I'm working on circadian rhythm and there were certain time points I, I had to rearrange because I just couldn't be in lab in those times. And pre-COVID, I may have just done it straight, been whatever time point I wanted, uh, but I had to rethink how I ran my science. And also something unexpected that we've been dealing with are uh, issues of supply chain and everything that surrounds the lab also is affected by COVID because we're not an isolated unit, right? A lot of what we do requires other people being able to deliver things, being able to collect samples. And in the case, I I had one project in the lab that has been put on indefinite pause because it required samples from human patients. And with COVID, that collecting those samples is no longer a priority because, of course, hospital priority is going towards patients as it should. So yeah, there are a lot of unexpected effects in terms of how a lab runs due to COVID affecting the people we tangentially work with. Yeah, definitely. So one last note, do you have any tips for current grad students about surviving grad school or applying for postdoc? Yeah, sure. I, I, my first tip would be, I guess, not for current grad students, but uh, well, I guess current, yeah, rotating or applying grad students. And you know, honestly, this could apply to people applying for postdocs as well. The biggest tip I like to give people is never think you're going to be the exception to a lab culture. Uh, when you're visiting someplace, make sure that it's a good fit for your personality and how you like to work and how you like to do research. Because just because the research topic intrigues you, if you don't fit in with the social rhythms of a lab or the mentoring style of that particular PI, it's not going to be a good fit for you. And you're not going to be the exception to the rule of how people tend to behave in that particular lab environment. So make sure that it's not just the research that's interesting to you and a good fit, but that also the lab environment itself is a good fit. That's really essential for, I think, prospering in grad school. And you'll just generally have a better work-life balance, I think, if you find a lab that suits your personality as well as your scientific needs. That's an awesome advice. (laughs) So moving away from science, (laughs) how has COVID affected other aspects of your life? So like, for example... Were there any activities that you were planning on doing and then you had to stop or any travel plans you had to discard? 
Yeah, for travel plans, I was uh, planning to celebrate finishing my PhD with a trip to Scotland last year. <gasps> yes, that's been put on indefinite pause as well. Oh, no. <laughs> I was very bummed. I was very excited to go to Scotland. Um, so I, I hope to visit one day. <laughs> um, well, so that... I, I, I hope you can visit. Thank you. <laughs> so yeah, I was very I was very bummed about that. In terms of my daily life, yeah, socially, it's just really affected me. Of, of course, just the like spontaneously seeing your friends uh, has gone down for everyone. And then I also, uh, as you know, Wei, I, I do a lot of theater outside of the lab. Um, that's my non-science activity. And theaters, live theater <laughs> can't happen during COVID. And so I, I, I can't do that as well as I can't see my friends in person associated with my non-science part of my life. So that's been a big shift in that a lot of um, my social life has moved to Zoom <laughs> or virtual. And so it's been a lot of going to lab and, and coming straight home, which was not my daily rhythm before. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we're all suffering from Zoom fatigue. Yes. <laughs> have you picked up on any new hobbies or interests during COVID? Well, I, I've come to realize that thanks to COVID, you can take classes anywhere at any time because everything's virtual. So one fun thing I did is I took a sketch writing class based out of a theater in Los Angeles. So of course I live in Boston and would never have been able to do that during normal times, but I just had to account for the three hour time difference and I was able to take this class with people in California and that was really fun. I've also taken up singing classes, which is something I did not do before. Um, I've always wanted to be a better singer. Pre-COVID, I wouldn't have taken the time to physically travel to go to singing classes. But now I can take singing classes literally anywhere <laughs> via Zoom. So that's been something, a new hobby of mine I've picked up. I've never uh, been very confident with singing. So I decided I wanted to become more confident in these uh, <laughs> in these strange quarantine times. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. I've heard of so many different hobbies and interests, but singing lessons are definitely the first <laughs> that's awesome i would really want to go to your concert oh, thank you, you. Ever <laughs> thank you so much for your time chelsea oh, thank um, you <laughs> before we end this would you like to plug any of your socials or if you have any <laughs> yeah sure um well my scientific twitter is at underscore ce powell you can find me plugging any of my uh, my latest work there, whether it's uh, from my PhD or my current work in the Devlin Lab. Nice. All right, everyone, go follow Chelsea on her Twitter right now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to end this. All right. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>